0: Hello, I'm Michael Barr.
1: And I'm Evan Novi
0: williams And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Scott Soschnick is off today. Today, we begin with the Washington Redskins. And there is a problem, according to a New York Times expose, concerning their cheerleading program. They want it to be, according to the Redskins, a safe and constructive environment. But we are hearing, according to this Times report, Something totally opposite.
1: Yeah, some pretty ugly details in there uh, from a number of years ago, around 2013, uh, some of the former Redskins cheerleaders saying that they were asked to post topless in front of uh, some wealthy donors to the cheerleading program. Uh, there's a bit in there where they were asked to allegedly asked to be escorts uh, for a night out at a nightclub with some of these donors as well. Uh, overall, a, a bad look if they're true for, for the Redskins, a bad look for the NFL. And this comes on the heels of a lot of cheerleading headlines in the past couple years that have reflected poorly on individual teams. The there's a, Saints, a former Saints cheerleader earlier this year who said that she was fired for posing a photo on Instagram that they deemed was too risque. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a, a minimum wage lawsuit filed against uh, a few teams, including the, the Bills and the Raiders, uh, for, for their compensation of cheerleaders. Uh, this is part of a much larger issue uh, for, for individual teams, and the NFL has tried to stay out of this. Uh, it's unclear, though, how long they can kind of claim to be a neutral third party.
0: Now, let's clarify something. According to the Times report and what the cheerleaders said, they said no sex was involved, but at least one described the feeling as being pimped out. As yeah, and that's bad. Yeah, <laughs> obviously that that
1: should that should never happen. The, the NFL's response to this has been that teams are allowed to to do their own, uh, have their own policies for, in with regards to cheerleaders. Uh, my guess is that that will probably change. Uh, we've talked to some labor lawyers who say that the NFL may actually be liable, despite the fact that they're not involved in these decisions uh, through some third party employer claims. Uh, the NFL has said that they're willing to talk to teams share best practices, maybe even set some minimums, some bare minimums in terms of how cheerleaders are treated. Uh, But the fact is that this is a bad look for the Redskins, of course, uh, for the league as a whole, uh, especially at a time when when the league is under fire for so many different angles uh, that we've discussed on the show.
0: Have we hit the moment where maybe the cheerleaders and one person brought this up? Maybe it's time for the cheerleaders to, to go.
1: It's funny you say that. The one of the settlement, one of the things that they the cheerleading groups have talked about is a desire that if this lawsuit does go away, that they want to make sure that teams can't scrap their cheerleading programs. I mean, they don't want the legacy of, of of mistreated cheerleader teams to be that the cheerleaders disappeared from the NFL altogether. Uh, So I think there will be some some harsh pushback if there are teams that decide, you know what, I think we're going to scrap our cheerleading program. Uh, Because these women obviously are cheerleading fans, they, they love what they do, and they don't want the fact that they were mistreated to be the reason why there are no more cheerleaders in the future.
0: What I don't understand is why, according to many cheerleaders, that they're underpaid. I don't understand that. We're talking about teams that make multi million dollars. Why can't some of that revenue go towards paying the cheerleaders?
1: Yeah, it's a $15 billion league. Uh, I think a lot of that kind of depends on how teams set it up. You know, the Redskins are one of those teams that do their cheerleaders in house, there are a lot of other teams that just contract. Their way out, you know, and let a, a, another party handle the entire cheerleading, uh, cheerleading group. One of the things that shocked me in this New York Times story is that the the, the donors, some of the guys who were on this this trip to Costa Rica in 2013, uh, they were paying for some of the cheerleading teams' travel to things like playoff games and the Super Bowl. You know, so so there is obviously it is not a, an organ part of the organization that's flush with money, uh, if they if they are using donors to uh, to pay for travel, etc.
0: Let's talk about something a little happier, especially the Pac-12. we like, oh, yes! For the first time, the Pac-12 annual revenue topped a half a billion dollars.
1: This was such good news for the Pac-12 that they changed the way they announced their revenue. Usually every year you have to look through the tax statements from the previous year Figure out what the Pac-12 made in revenue. This number was so good that they decided, you know what? Let's put it in a press release. Let's have a press conference. Uh, let's project this out to the world with all of its context. The only and thing yes,
0: missing in that press release was,
1: yeah, boy. Exactly. Exactly. This is uh, the Pac-12 has uh, for the past couple years kind of been maligned as struggling financially with regards to the other major Power Fives conferences, uh, and and. $500 million dollars in annual revenue will get them closer. It doesn't quite get them all the way. Uh, if you do the math on that, uh, it's about $31 million dollars distributed to each Pac-12 team. That pales in comparison to the SEC, which is at $41 million. It's even behind the Big 12, which is at, uh, I think, $34 million. Um, but the fact of the matter is that the Pac-12 has done some interesting business things. We've talked about them on the show. They own their own TV networks. No other conference has the, the full ownership and operation of that. They've invested a lot of money in Asia, uh, and they expect that in the future – to bring in more money, uh, but certainly uh, eclipsing that half a billion dollar revenue mark is, is a big deal for them.
0: I was just going to talk about that that five hundred nine million dollars. That includes the Pac twelve networks. That's where a lot of this coin is coming.
1: Exactly. From. Yeah, the, this money comes from growth of the Pac twelve networks. It comes from growth of the ESPN Fox deal they signed a number of years ago, which I believe was the most expensive media rights deal in college football before uh before other leagues took it over um but it will be interesting to see as we continue to go if the pac-12 can kind of slowly catch up to you know much pa- more powerful richer leagues like the sec like the acc the big tens number will jump really high with their new media rights as well
0: i don't know boy uh, my goodness about the sec they make so much doggone money. I, I don't know if anybody's going to catch them.
1: <laughs> it's funny, yeah, as we talk about uh, the, 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 the growing argument over whether players should get paid, whether college athletes should be compensated in some other way, uh, you look at these gaudy numbers and you really think, you know what, there's got to be a way to cut players into uh, the tens of millions of dollars that every conference is giving out to to its principal schools.
0: We have to talk about the Kentucky Derby, which ended over the weekend in a muddy, muddy monsoon How of a How about that weather? Oh, my God. Uh, well, that's what – see, I'm glad – I don't justify, think I can run
1: in that. <laughs> no.
0: I, I can't run if it's dry and sunny, <laughs> let alone on that. Justify won the race. Mendelssohn, which I thought was going to just be superb, got an early bump right after coming out of the mm-hmm. gate, and Mendelssohn said, I'm done. I'm not racing in this stuff. I'm grumpy. That's it. But you I don't know, think
1: I've ever related to a horse more than I've related to Mendelsohn.
0: At that moment. <laughs> the thing about it, though, is that this was the eighth most watched Kentucky Derby ever.
1: Yeah, from an attendance standpoint. Yeah, over 150,000 people. Um, in in weather like that, that's certainly a good uh, a good a good metric to fall back on if you're the Kentucky Derby. They consistently. the the live product is so good for the Kentucky Derby and really for the other two races as well, especially if there's a triple triple crown on the line moving forward into Belmont. Um, They have the benefit of it being once a year, you know, Um, but as so many other sports kind of struggle getting people into the stands, uh, the mix of the, the, the pomp and the style and the, the concerts and the dressing up, everything kind of coalesces into this really compelling live event for the Kentucky Derby and you see that with 150,000 people standing in pouring rain uh, just to watch a bunch of horses
0: run around in a circle. I remember one year I went to see the Preakness at Pimlico mm-hmm. and all the races were dry except the one race, the Preakness. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I mean literally, it, it was like uh, just a huge monsoon hit the track and I'll never really forget this, a guy who is visiting from Alabama Said I came all the way from Alabama to come see a tornado right in the middle of the racetrack. This is great. <laughs> like, and this is something that people who were at Churchill Downs had to go through with this rain. And like you said, it's it, die-hard race fans. Were so, you
1: in the infield at Pimlico?
0: Oh no, 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 no. Well, I've, do, I've done that once.
1: Uh, it was both uh, spectacular and uh, a fear for my life simultaneously. <laughs>
0: it was so. It was so windy. I don't know if anybody's familiar with uh, Pimlico. But they have screens that are up on a crane. Mm. And it was so bad the screens started flapping, and they had to bring the screens down oh boy. for the race. That's that's how bad it was. Jeez. It, I don't think they had to do this for the for the derby and, mm. and the infield and everything. But it, it's amazing, like you said, eighth most watch in attendance in a monsoon, And people still love horse racing.
1: Exactly. And 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 it's a sport that I mean I've always felt as though was gonna start aging up, you know, in in the same way that we talk about golf. But there's a younger crowd, especially maybe less so on T V. The T V ratings or the overnight ratings were down a bit. Uh, but at least in the in person experience, you go to these races, there are a lot of younger folks there.
0: Speaking of people who made a bet on this race, (laughs) there is a Texas woman who nearly matched Justify's $1.24 million purse for winning the Kentucky Derby after she correctly picked five straight winners in races, 8 through 12, at Churchill Downs on Saturday. And the woman won $1.2 million after placing an $18, that's what breaks me up, placing an $18 pick five wager at Ratama Park Racetrack in Salem, Texas. And we're talking over 1,000 miles away from Louisville, Kentucky. But she picked Justify as which was the favorite, and she won the derby. That's what won her this money. Now, the other four races, that's what amazes me. One race, one horse was eight to one to win. Another race was ten to one to win. (laughs) In the eleventh race, I think that's what it was. Now there was a forty to one long shot. (laughs) Funny duck. In the Pat Day Mile, that was the 10th race of the day. Great
1: horse, Funny Duck. <laughs> Tremendous I speed. Love, I love yeah, that name. Fantastic.
0: <laughs> the better also correctly picked Limousine Liberal, 4-1 to one to win the Churchill Downstakes. That was the 8th race of the day. And the spokeswoman for retama Park says that (laughs) that's unheard of yeah i guess so 18
1: dollar bet that yields 1.2 million unheard of (laughs) you know a bit more about horse racing than i do i've seen interviews with this woman she claims to have studied a lot you know she's leaning on her skill as a horse racing better Uh, are you buying that
0: no (laughs) (laughs) listen i i'm i'm happy for her she did a heck of a job but that is almost impossible to do. And she did it. So good for her. She said that she's going to take some of the money and she's going to help her daughter go through college. So
1: there's another great uh, Justify gambling story out there. I don't know if you saw this at the win in Las Vegas back in February. Uh, a horse better called up the guy who runs the sports book there, uh, Johnny Avello, yeah. and said, I've got a horse. I want odds on him to win the Kentucky Derby. Um, And and Avello went through everything, gave him 300 to 1 odds on Justify. Because (laughs) Justify, as as you may know, didn't run as a two-year-old. The first horse to win the Kentucky Derby without having run the year before. So not many people had seen this horse run. 300 to 1 odds, the guy put down $500 uh, and made a cool $150,000 yesterday.
0: I'm sure the person that gave him the 300 to 1 odds, step in the office back here. We need to talk to you. (laughs) I got to throw in a bonus topic. Kevin Harvick, who, by the way, this past ah, weekend in topic. Dover, just beat the snot out of the field, man. He And it's his fourth win of the season so far. But the reason why we're bringing up Kevin Harvick is because off the track, he's got uh, a great business that he's setting up. Uh, it includes golf, UFC, and others. And what he has set up is kind of like a sports and celebrity marketing agency. Uh, it's called Kevin Harvick Management. Uh, and according to ESPN, uh, he's doing pretty well with it. Okay,
1: I so I you're the NASCAR guy. I don't know much about about racing. Certainly, don't know much about Kevin Harvick. Uh, what What are your thoughts on this?
0: Oh, I I think it's great. I think a lot. The one thing that struck me was that a lot of other NASCAR drivers, when they go for business, it's not sports related. Hmm. But in this case. You know, he's, he's knocking it out. I mean, he says that he loves baseball, football, basketball. He loves golf. In fact, he set up Kevin Harvick kind of like a mini Augusta in his backyard. And he is set up. It's like almost like a, a par three where he's got, you know, you got to shoot over. You know, the the floral arrangements. Got a tiny and whatever. little bridge there. And a tiny little bridge for. that's there. And <laughs> I, I, I'm impressed because if you think about it, many other NASCAR drivers, I think Mark Martin, uh, he has a, a dealership, You know, which makes sense. I get it. It's on brand. On brand. And But this is something that uh, I hope he does well with, that uh, I think Kevin Harvick is going to do well. A lot of guys make a lot of money doing this and they invest their money well.
1: So, I, as a non-NASCAR fan, I could probably name maybe 10 drivers. Kevin Harvick is one of the ones yeah. whose names I would see and say, oh, I yeah. know that guy. He's a, he's a NASCAR driver. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> certainly wish him well in the uh, in the new endeavor.
0: Well, good luck, Kevin Harvick. <laughs> he keep going. He's four races so far this season. I mean, that's doing something. So, Anyhow, this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Evan Novi williams We are here each and every Monday and Friday exploring the world of money and sports. Scott Soschnick is off today, but Scott will join us again at the end of the week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.